Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, we keep having all your friends onto the show that you worked with between the years of 2010 and 2015. What happened then? It's actually kind of interesting because it's kind of like the way things happened with e-commerce in 2020, except over a multi-year period, which was the the rise of social. So while you were kicking butt at the Gap, I was trying to work with companies that were not as progressive as Gap and try to bring them along for the ride. And that's what we're doing right now in 2020 and 2021 is trying to bring these big companies along for the ride on e-com. But my OG crew in 2010 to 2015, I guess, was all senior leaders at CPGs that were just trying to figure out like, what do I do with this social thing? Because I know it's a thing, but I have no idea how to integrate it into my organization. I have no idea how to do it right. And if I do it wrong, everybody's going to give me crap. I was willing to be vulnerable also, which is always my MO being very vulnerable. If you listen to our show, you know how vulnerable Sarah is. But no, you're right. The CEOs that cared about social starting around 2010 are now today's CEOs that care about e-commerce and are humble enough to join our little old show, Brave Commerce. And so today we have two more legends from your life onto the show. Yeah, I think Tim Kofer, who is now the CEO of Central Garden and Pet, is one of those people that was a fabulous champion for digitally led thinking and had such a fantastic agreement when he was chief growth officer at Mondelez and, and his many decades of working in the space. I'm making him seem like he's really old and he's actually not really old at all, but different issue. But Tim is one of those people that led with influence and led with this idea of let's think about what's best for the business, not what we've done in the past. And it's very clear that that's what he's doing right now at Central. And the fact that he brought Mike McGowan along with him and that Mike was happy to get that gang back together again is a sign of the, the testament of teams. It's amazing how much we're learning about leadership, what it takes to build a business, and how that's really everything that wraps around a successful go-to-market e-commerce strategy. But if you don't have that, 
then everything else is just a series of tactics that really don't matter. And even looking at Mike and Tim, I mean, Tim is fabulous. Having Mike, who is fabulous in his own right, come in, not just as the SVP of marketing, but also e-commerce in the remit puts a commercial strength behind it that says, we mean business here. And you'll hear from Mike on the show in a, in, a, in a couple of minutes, but just knowing somebody who really has the commercial mindset and the marketing creativity, putting that all together and saying from the top, this is something we really care about. This is something we're really supporting and we're going to put the right investment strategy behind it. That really matters. Super excited for this episode, not just because of having two great leaders, but these are also two categories everyone should be paying attention to right now. Pets and garden. A lot of secrets in this show, so give it a listen. Thank you so much for joining, guys. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Rachel. Great to be here. Thanks so much. It's really wonderful to have a team that has worked well together in past lives and past chapters, being able to have that support in both directions from the CEO to the head of marketing and e-commerce back and forth in full alignment and lockstep is great. And having a view both from the hot seat and you guys can debate which one of you is in the hot seat, but being able to have that, I think makes things a lot more interesting. And I think our listeners are going to really enjoy hearing from somebody who is accountable for the e-commerce element, but also somebody who's accountable for the totality of the health of the organization. So Tim, we'll start with you. You're coming up on about a year and a half at the helm. Obviously, the last 12 months have been hell on earth in the most human of ways. That said, you are sitting in two of the most hot categories where your company excels, pet and gardening, tremendous category growth. How have you adapted to these massive changes, especially after being on the job for, you know, four minutes? Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. No question. These are extraordinary times. And the last 12 months for all of us on the planet have been quite a challenge. You know, I got to start with the perspective on the 6,300 men and women that are part of Central Garden and Pet. I am so proud and so humbled and inspired by what they've given over the last year. As you might imagine, as a a leading manufacturer and distributor, in addition to a great marketer in Garden and Pet, you know, we run uh, a number of factories, a number of distribution centers. We've got frontline merchandisers that go to stores every day. And our number one priority in this last year has been the health and safety of our employees. I can't say enough about what they have done this last year. It's why we put up record performance, quite honestly. But I feel very good today that across the almost 100 sites, if you add all of our manufacturing plants, our distribution centers, our offices, every one of them is open and operational And we're continuing to make, ship, and sell the great brands and garden and pet. So I start there with a shout out to the employees. In terms of the macro impact, as you said, Sarah, on these two categories, it's substantial. On pet, what we've seen is is record pet adoptions. As you might imagine, with COVID-19, people are kind of cocooning, spending more time at home. And they're adopting that cat or that dog from shelter or from the breeder. And it's not just dogs and cats, it's reptiles, it's fish, it's birds, it's uh, guinea pigs, whatever. And obviously, that's a big tailwind for our business, which is pet supplies. On the garden side, similarly, you know, in garden, we're seeing people staying at home, 
investing in beautifying their outdoor spaces. We've seen just amazing uh, point of sale increases, both brick and mortar and online on the garden side. So it's been a challenging year, as you said, but uh, we're fortunate that net net, it has provided more tailwinds than headwinds for our business and our two industries. And I'm really proud of the fact that on top of that, we're executing well. It's really exceptional. Just kind of click one level deeper. I think I had heard somewhere, perhaps a prior interview of yours, where you said that there are a lot of pet owners who have taken on an additional pet as well. So even just penetration from a household perspective must be pretty damn impressive too. It really is, Sarah. And it's one of these things we haven't seen in the pet industry for many years. So the fun facts are in the last year, 2.7 million incremental households, new households took in a pet. And of the existing households, which is close to 60% of household penetration in America have at least one pet. Of those households, one third of them brought in another pet, to your point. And I would say on top of that, Sarah and Rachel, we're seeing a lot of the growth coming from the younger cohorts. We're seeing it from millennials and Gen Z. And obviously, those are really good indications about the the robust growth potential of this business going forward. Yeah, I could tell you during the pandemic, every single one of my friends who is still single now has a pet. (laughs) So that trend will continue. And Mike, I know that you also recently joined the company in the middle of a pandemic. What has it been like taking on such a leadership role at a company where probably you haven't met many of the people physically? You know, it's amazing what tools like Zoom and WebEx and others can do to make you feel connected with people. And I think in some ways I had the benefit of coming from you know, a career at Mondelez where you know, I had teams of people that sat around the globe and many of them I had never had the opportunity to meet in person. But you know, I could tell you so many things about their families and their lives and you feel very well connected. So I think video technology has been a huge enabler of something like this. I couldn't imagine starting an environment without being able to at least see people's smiling faces and learn more about them in an environment like this. I also started at a pretty interesting time in which one of the the reasons I was so excited to join Central was this opportunity to set the company on a strategy toward building more compelling brands and using a lot of the the great toolkits that we built at Mondelez and applying them here at Central. And so I started at a point in which we were setting out to build our Central to Home strategy, which we unveiled at the tail end of last year. And what was really exciting about that is it was a true co-created effort. We had over 150 leaders in our organization spend time and meaningful input to build this from the bottom up. And so an effort like that, where you're thrust into joining an organization and really helping play a leadership role in that is a great way to meet so many of your colleagues, learn the business. But at the same point, really importantly, any new place that I've joined is how do you build trust as quickly as possible? And so I think a a seminal event like that is a great way to kick off your career and certainly has us really excited. I think one of the the parts that I've been fortunate in my career to work on a lot of strategy efforts, I don't know if I've seen as big of a cultural change anywhere as that I've seen with this strategic effort where our employees have been really excited about where we're going and and can see already the, the fruits of our labor as We've uh, enjoyed record success here in the last quarter and and coming off of a really strong year in 2020. Well, success certainly has a way of making the bonding a little bit easier, for sure. But it wouldn't even matter if you didn't have strong leadership and a very clear North Star and a path forward. So congratulations to both of you, both on the success in the category, the success with your particular brands, as well as your ability to move mountains from home. You're on a podcast called Brave Commerce. So we will be talking about e-commerce, 
which has been surprisingly really big this year. Who would have thunk? And so as we think about that and we think about all of the adaptability that has needed to happen over the past year, how have you guys been thinking about that? And I'll start with Mike on this one, but definitely want to hear the, the view from the CEO You've got to change culture. You've got to change org design, roles and responsibilities, omni, pure play. Like, how do you even like think about that, especially coming in mid-pandemic? Fortunate for us, we had begun the journey of investing in e-commerce prior to me joining. So I was hitting the ground running a bit. And I think we actually, in an environment where we've seen massive channel shifting, you know, significant growth online, especially in our pet category where you know, Pet has grown fivefold in e-commerce in the past five years. So really significant growth built on the back of, of huge pure play platforms. You, know, you have Amazon, obviously, everyone's pure play, but then you know, Chewy as a very significant player here. So they're well-developed platforms where the behavior had already been adopted. And so I think some of our biggest challenge is, frankly, how do we keep up with this demand and this record surge that we're seeing and prioritize you know, our inventory, balancing pure play platforms where you're seeing increased demand with our traditional brick and mortar platforms, which is a unique dynamic to pet and even more acute and garden is the concentration of retailers on that brick and mortar side versus the food and beverage world where Tim and I came from before where it was a lot more fragmented. So you have these really strong channel dynamics that you have to work through. I think it's also building capability at the same time that you're trying to absorb this demand is a really challenging thing to do. So how are you focusing on you know, not just the here and now, but laying out that charting, but the path for the future and doing a fair amount of testing and learning while we have the capability to do so now. So we set ourselves up really well for the other side of this. I think the other side of the equation, you have the garden business that it's still rather undeveloped today. It actually reminds me a lot of, you know, back 2013, 2014, when I was at Mondelez. And at that point, it was only about 2% of snacking was online. And that was really before we saw the hockey stick growth. Today on the garden side, we only have 3% today. So a lot of what we're learning here is, you know, how are we starting to partner with the Home Depot and the Lowe's on the Omnichannel side, where they just both have reported record top line earnings in the last quarter. So they're seeing tremendous success, but they also recognize the same trends as that Will store traffic remain? You know, does buy, you know, online pickup and store become a really important part of their strategy going forward? And then, you know, how do we help enable those things? So there's a lot of complexity that we're trying to balance both in the short term and the long term. Mike, you touched upon just so many subjects at once that uh, Sarah and I feel quite passionate about. You spoke to the channels shift and um, a dear friend of ours is a leader at Petco and he'll be on the show, Tara Kassan. And he spoke about how when the pandemic struck, Amazon couldn't fulfill orders and they actually stole market share because of the buy online, pick up in store capabilities in the local inventory. Since you guys are available at many retailers, have you seen that sustain throughout the pandemic that maybe local retailers via the omni-channel approach or stealing market share from some of the big pure players? I don't know if we have evidence of necessarily stealing, but we're seeing, you know, I think sort of a believe in the old adage, all boats rise with success here. So we're seeing really strong growth across all of our pure play and our omni-channel retailers. So Petco would be of measuring their own channel share and shift. We're measuring sort of the performance from our manufacturer standpoint, and we've been really fortunate to see success across those. You know, the local model will be very interesting to see how that shakes out because I think there are analogs in other industries that suggest that 
some of the local models may be more challenged given the fundamental shift in behavior. Pets are treated as members of the family. And I think there's a very personalized touch to what you do. And so I, I do believe that there still is a role for the great, strong, independent pet store, the big chain, you know, like a Petco, where you can get that personalized service and help people navigate what are really important decisions for them. So I think there's a role for both e-commerce as well as the brick and mortar going forward. The other thing that you touched upon was the relationship of product to e-commerce profitability. I assume that's what you were getting at with gardening. You know, I do a ton of work, for example, in hair care. It's unprofitable to ship shampoo and conditioner. And I imagine you could say the same for some gardening products. There's a lot of innovation that's happening in those categories to try to actually like lighten the weight of the product to have it make sense for e-commerce. How do you guys think about maybe the future of your products and e-commerce profitability when it comes to like the weight, just the whole dynamic of the, the overall package? You hit it nail on the head. On the garden side, it's more challenging than on the pet side. And I think for us, we've consciously chosen not to play in food where you'd see some of the same dynamic play out from a, a pack weight out perspective. But garden, that is a big challenge. And you know, gardening as an industry too, tends to have a little bit more of a regional supply chain, which actually in some ways gives hope to me that actually some of those things will be overcome in time is that the sources are closer to the end user to figure out. But certainly that's a big challenge for us to figure out. You know, I continue to think that price pack architecture is a really big play here. I think that in the garden side in particular, what you learn about users is that a lot of items that you buy, you don't actually know the price off the top of your head. It's not like buying that gallon of milk. And so for the user that is not going into a Home Depot or a Lowe's or a Walmart regularly, and they want something in the moment for them, I think we found really good actually evidence around the ability to price. And that would just suggest getting to different offerings that then make sense on the unit economics as we're shipping those. So I think there's actually a a very interesting way that PPA can become a very big growth driver for us going forward on on the garden side of the business. That's a really good point. PPA is probably something I talk about about as much as most of the other revenue and profit levers, both in terms of trying to figure out what is the right element. So let's say you're selling a product that's 16 ounces, but if you took it down to 14 ounces, you'd actually be in a completely different shipping bracket, all those different kinds of levers. So Tim, organizationally, how do you think about how to get the company thinking more holistically than just how you show up at the physical shelf. Yeah, it has been a bit uh, of a cultural journey. And I think, you know, you mentioned that at the at the beginning of, of the segue into kind of brave commerce and e-commerce. Backing up, this company was founded in 1980 as a distribution business. Like a lot of companies, I think, you know, it's all of its roots are in brick and mortar, selling through a distribution and brick and mortar route to market. So for me, for starters, you do need to think about a cultural shift in the company to kind of rewire, and even more so in, in central. E-commerce now, especially on the pet side, as Mike said, is a material part. I mean, this past year, it's crossed 20% of our revenue on our pet consumer business is through e-commerce, either pure play or you know omni-channel with our traditional retailers. So it's, it's getting very big. I think in addition to kind of that cultural shift It's about a conviction and a commitment. We've said as part of the new strategy of our company, Central to Home, that we want to future-proof this company and build a digital-first mindset. And that goes beyond e-commerce. That's about digital marketing. That's about digital supply chain and obviously digital route to market. 
that's a big statement to kind of lead the future and be the leader in, in petty e-commerce from a manufacturer standpoint. Helps to put out a big ambition and really, you know, galvanize the, the company around it. Last thing is, and Mike touched on this, is capabilities. I mean, in my first uh, kind of year and a half, we've invested a lot in just building capability inside the four walls of Central. And some of that is really upskilling our folks on the fundamentals of how to drive an e-commerce business, an endless shelf business, the role of assortment and unique assortment with unique price back architecture, as you said, Sarah, you know, the importance of search, the importance of availability. You know, right now we're supply constrained. And so kind of old habits would say, well, if we've only got so many cases of dog bones or bird seed, grass seed, you know, we'll give it to those customers we grew up with the last 30 years. But really understanding that, hey, listen, if we're not fulfilling our e-commerce customers, you know, the penalty that can occur in terms of rankings and the cost to build that back up over time is significant. So there's a big capability lift going on. We're actually, we just completed a pretty robust uh, set of training modules that we're rolling out across all sales, marketing, and leadership. So I think it starts, Sarah, to your point that there's a commitment, there's a conviction, there's a willingness to resource, there's a prioritization from the top, and then there's a, an acceptance that some of this is a cultural journey, kind of a transformation in the company. And then you got to put your money where your mouth is, investing both in terms of driving the business, but also building the capability. That's excellent. And hearing that commitment from the CEO makes a, a huge difference. I think one of the things that ends up happening when you've got that strong commitment from the C-suite that, you know, this is part of our journey, it's a large percentage of revenue, there's a lot of opportunity here, is that you run the risk with a learning agenda of having a Tower of Babel, where one person's using one word, the other person's using the same word, you think you're saying the same thing, but you're not saying the same thing. How do you create a bilateral learning agenda? Because it's not just about how you train the whole organization on e-commerce and get that learning agenda going, but how do you get the e-commerce team to think outside of the box that they've been in for the period of time that they've been in? Yeah. Mike, you want to take it? Point. It's something I think about a lot also being still new to Central. It's actually, I think the importance of being an active listener has never been more important in my career. Because I think that when you listen to uh, different parts of the organization, I think actually we use a lot of common nomenclature, but we often mean very different things. And so I think that is a really important part of us building an organization, building the foundation even stronger is getting us all on the same page for, for how we're approaching some you know, issues, complexities, et cetera, as we're working through. As we go forward, it's really important for us to recognize that the challenges that we're going after today are, in many ways, the call of what we have to do today, but they're imperatives because we're seeing these fundamental huge shifts going on externally. And so to me, it's not actually a choice. It's actually an imperative for us to act and to evolve and transform the business. And so what's been really interesting to watch is that as we get into more discussions with with people who maybe are less digitally native in terms of their languages, that realization that that changes here and now, and that it's actually really important for them to embrace what's ahead of them. We have really fortunate opportunity here playing in categories where there's a lot of favorability. And I think one of the things that Tim was talking about earlier that's so true is you know, we have all these new entrants that have poured in the category and disproportionately, they are people who have digital first mentalities for their shopping behavior. And so we actually now have this 
real opportunity to capture them in ways in which we may not have been able to earn their trust as easily prior to a groundswell moment like COVID that has impacted our categories in a, in a more favorable way. Super helpful and thoughtful. And I really think this is one of those things that all big companies are struggling with. I think your approach makes a lot of sense and it, it just takes a very human approach. Speaking of humanity, I'd like to go into the bonus round list of questions. You guys can alternate who answers it, but we're going to ask you some rapid fire questions. They may or may not have anything to do with e-commerce, but it keeps things spicy around here. So Rachel and I will alternate. Rachel, you want to go first? Absolutely. Raised bed garden or in the ground garden? In the ground. In the ground for me too. We're a couple of grounded guys. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I bought this house in the Catskills and the ground is so rocky that we have to build a raised bed garden. But I, I look forward to it. It's be my April project. All right, Sarah, what's on your mind? Favorite pet? Yeah, my favorite pet is my dog, Malshi, named Toblerone. And we call him Toby for short. <laughs> oh, my God, I love that. that. That goes after one of my favorite foods, period. But Mike? I've always been a dog lover. And I'm really excited that I am now three weeks away from getting a new Bernadoodle puppy. So excited to have a new family member. Rach? Watering plants. Do you believe the most effective way is to water the plant from the top of the pot or put water at the bottom and let it sit in it? Ooh, I think I know this one. You know, we are, uh, we're big into live plants. In fact, we just made an acquisition a few weeks ago. Makes us today the second largest live plant greenhouse grower in America. The answer is it depends on what plant you're talking about, Rachel. You're absolutely correct. And I sadly learned this via TikTok. (laughs) There are so many plant influencers on TikTok. It's crazy. (laughs) You learned it the hard way. Did you kill it? Yeah. You can't see, but I have all these plants. (laughs) No pet, no garden. Favorite cookie? Oreo. Big Newton. A little retro, Mike. Uh, Oreo could be retro. It is a uh, 109-year-old company. It is evergreen. And what a brand. Right, Sarah? Damn skippy. (laughs) Favorite Brave Commerce episode? I'm going to give a shout out to one of the best hires I've ever made, Mr. John Halverson. That's quite generous of you. It was a good episode. It was a solid episode. Also, a great, great episode on leadership, which clearly he got from you. Mike? I honestly can't say Halvo, so I can't give him two two shout outs in one episode. I really enjoyed the interview with Mindy Grossman. I actually think Mindy is a really inspirational figure just looking at all the incredible impact that she's had in her career. It was really fun to hear about the learnings of her career. So I thought that was a really, really strong episode as well. Excellent. I feel like there's a partnership opportunity between you guys. Never say never, Rachel. We're open. Happy to make that intro. All right. Before we get to the last one, last thing you bought online. Pretty sure the last thing I bought online was uh, a a hyper-ice ice bag for my shoulder. Unfortunately, I'm realizing that I am getting old now. And so the little, the little injuries are becoming bigger injuries. And this embarrassingly was from shoveling of all things. God, Mike. Yeah. The last thing I bought was a heating pad. So I guess we're in the same bucket. Mine was uh, a weight bench, a sit-up bench. You know, got to work on that six pack, Sarah and Rachel. Preach. Making me feel like crap. That's for damn sure. (laughs) Rachel, over to you. Tim, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? I got a little story for you. We'll keep it quick. Um, I'm in the Austrian Alps. I'm at about 10,000 feet. It's winter. 
and I have called one of my many favorite memories in my career, I called a global Milka summit. If you don't know Milka, it is the most pure Alpine brand of chocolate. It's Europe's favorite chocolate. And of course, it was part of my former portfolio of responsibility. And so we've got, you know, top uh, 100 or so Milka folks from around the world. We're in the birthplace of Milka. These guys encouraged me to have a bit of rite of passage, which put me at the top of this mountain on skis in the snow. I got a guy behind me who I'm told has a paraglider parachute on his back. And in a thick Austrian accent, he just says to me, Tim, pull, pull, pull. And I start pulling and skiing as fast as I can. And I come to about a near 1,000 foot cliff. And I say a, a prayer to the good Lord above with my wife and children in mind. This is the end. But I went off the top of that thing, and it was the most glorious 30-minute tour in the air of the gorgeous alpine scenery of Austria. I got to tell you, that was pretty, pretty bleeping brave. Uh, I'm not sure I'd do it again, but it was a lot of fun. And I landed on on my skis, you know, about uh, 8,000 feet later. But on the more professional side. That's crazy. Yeah, that was a little crazy, a little crazy. It's basically taking risks in your career. I've had the good fortune of uh, living and working in, in six countries around the world in six states. My move out to uh, Walnut Creek, California was, I think, my 23rd move in my 52 years. I think it's the having the courage to take a leap now figuratively, not literally, and, uh, and go for things. So I, I remember, you know, when I first uh, moved out to, to London, I had a, a, my wife and I had a one-year-old baby. When I moved to Singapore, over to Asia to run Asia, Africa, you know, these type of things, you leave the comfort of the nest, you leave your friends, your family, the people you work with, you get thrown into completely different cultures, situations, businesses, different contexts. But I got to tell you, it's, it's what makes life great. And it's certainly shaped me to be a more uh, hopefully inclusive, cross-cultural type of leader. Now, Mike, I have to ask you, I don't know if you could follow up after that story. I know. What is the bravest thing that you've ever done? Personal anecdote that did come to mind, it was the first time that Tim and I actually worked together is when Tim was overseeing China. And I came over to help us look at turning around our China business. And on that trip, I got taken out by a number of our local Chinese employees and partners. And, and they took me out to the Beijing night market. And they are quickly walk through the Beijing night market. And we come to this stand. And in front, there are live scorpions. And they said, well, you know, if you want to experience true Chinese culture, you got to eat a live scorpion. And so, I mean, in that moment, really thought whether... This was an all wise, but felt really a lot of peer pressure to do so. And Mike, 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 you just should have told them you're kosher. I went ahead and did it, and it was a little crunchy, but uh, but I survived. <laughs> so, so that was probably something that comes to mind in the, in the moment. I think on the professional side, I think like Tim, you know, we like to talk a lot about taking an appropriate amount, a calculated amount of risk. <laughs> I think is really important in your career. It stretches you to learn. And one of the things I'm most proud of is. In my last role <laughs> running a consumer business for performance health, we had a brand called Biofreeze. And when I came in, Biofreeze was largely a B2B brand. Uh, it had a phenomenal product, but it was really positioned as the number one clinically recommended product. This entire heritage was built around the connection to um, the medical community. And we made a really bold decision to pivot and put that in a clear secondary or third position because what we realized is that 
for consumers, it wasn't a meaningful indicator. Saying you're number one recommended anything, there's so many number one recommended products out there. It actually drives more skepticism than not. And what people cared about was performance. And so we led in a really different direction and set it out a pretty bold strategy from a product that was targeting 55 to 65 year olds to targeting 24 to 44 year olds living active lifestyles and taking a physical therapy product and getting that to be a core part of your gym regimen. So there's a lot of, you know, if I reflect back, we did so many things so quickly, actually in the moment, not even sure we realized how many risks we were taking, but we were really handsomely rewarded for the risks that we, that we did take. So at the end of the day, I think I'm a big believer in that, that if you can set out a really bold vision, you can rally a group of people behind that. And that's a little bit what has me so excited about what we're doing here at Central is that we have a really exciting vision of what we're going after and and we have a really bright future ahead of us. Well, it makes me super happy to see the gang back together again. I am thrilled you guys were our first pair of guests together. Clearly made it work. Thank you so much for joining us and just so happy to see both of you too. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Rachel. You guys do a great job. Keep it up. Thanks for listening. Thanks to you both for having us. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.